0: Welcome. This is David Barris, president of the American Association of Bank Directors, host of ABD's Calling All Bank Directors podcast. Today we have as our guest Tom Fitzgerald to discuss how to prepare for your next bank examination. This is part one to our bank examination discussions with Tom. Bank examinations are the heart of bank supervision. How your bank will fare in an examination often dictates whether it will become subject to enhanced supervision. In light of the current pandemic and credit weaknesses, being prepared for your bank's next examination is of utmost importance. Tom was a National Bank examiner and senior executive at the Controller of Currency and a senior consultant to Promontory. He played a key role at OCC in helping to rehabilitate numerous banks during the SNL crisis and assisted many banks address serious challenges during and after the Great Recession. Please let me know if you have any follow-up questions by contacting me at dbaras at All right, let's call Tom.
1: Good morning, Dave.
2: Hey, good morning, Tom. Welcome to Calling All Bank Directors. Well, thank you for having me this morning. Tom, it's a pleasure to work with you on this. This is right up your alley and something you've done for many, many years, and that is either examine banks or help banks get ready for examinations. And so this is a a great time to discuss this subject uh, for a lot of reasons. So, the fundamental question we have for you, Tom, in our time allotted, and we will follow up with an additional conversation with you, is what is the best way for a bank to prepare for an examination? And you and I know both that a lot of the banks don't really do that very well, and it can hurt them. So, we want to learn more about that issue from you.
1: Sure. Well, <clears throat> The best thing to know about an examination is what the examiner is looking for and when he walk or he or she walks out the door, uh, what they have in hand. And the OCC, matter of fact, uh, all regulators, uh, today on a global basis use what's called risk-based supervision. And what that means is they look at the highest risk and The first question you have to ask is, what is at risk that the examiners are looking for? And what is at risk is capital, liquidity, compliance with law. And they also want to look at the policies and procedures and management. What they want to know is that the bank is well managed and that it will be well managed in the future. Even banks with problems can still be well-managed, and we'll get into that a little bit uh, more as we go along.
2: So what exactly should banks be doing before the examination begins? And most exams, I guess, are uh, announced ahead of time, so there is normally time, right, to for the banks to be prepared.
1: Exactly. Examiners should be keeping in. Contact with uh, management uh, periodically throughout the year, whether or not they're uh, examining the bank or not. But uh, what they're looking for primarily is uh, here again, capital and liquidity. Banks basically fail for two reasons either they run out of capital or they run out of liquidity. And uh, I've seen one case where. uh, A bank lost its charter uh, because of uh, not being in compliance with law, primarily the money laundering, but we'll get past that. What the bank wants to do for the examiner when the examiner comes in the bank, senior management CEO has to convince the examiner the bank is well managed. And how do you do that? You do that with reporting systems, having good MIS and uh, problem reporting systems. And the examiner wants to know that the bank is on top of all of their problems, that they recognize the problem, that they've identified them, defined them. Uh, They've gotten to the root cause of the problem. And they have one person responsible for getting the problem corrected in an allotted time frame that's uh, usually discussed with the uh, supervisor, whoever he or she may be. So the examiner's looking to see that the bank is well managed. Examiner should be able to sit down with the CEO at the very beginning of the examination, and the CEO should tell the examiner, exactly what all of the problems are of the bank and what they're doing about it. Uh, it doesn't bode well for management if uh, he sits down with the CEO at the beginning of the examination and the CEO is not forthright with him or her and doesn't disclose all the problems and what they're doing about it. So when the examiner examines the bank, and gets into some of these issues and finds out that uh, he or she was not told about them at the beginning of the examination, then they start to question uh, whether management uh, knew about the problems or person's not being forthright with the examiner. So it's important that uh, the CEO of the bank sit down with the examiner and say, here's the condition of the bank and if the examiner finds that that is the condition of the bank uh that's going to bode well for the uh banker and if the examiner uh, sees serious problems and the bank is working on those problems and has somebody assigned responsibility for uh, correcting those problems uh the bank could even avoid a uh maybe a memorandum of understanding or Uh, a more formal uh, administrative action. So the way to prepare for an examination is to be able to tell the examiner at the front end of the examination what the condition of the bank really is and what they're doing about any problems that they're facing. So how would the CEO
2: have that information? Uh, Sometimes they simply may not be aware of an issue should they be going before the exam going back to their staff and others to identify issues and be sure the ceo understands what they are and that there's a corrective action plan in place to deal with problems
1: well those systems should be in place already and if they're not then the bank needs to develop them and every department, uh, it's like a uh, pyramid. It starts at the bottom, works its way up to the top, and uh, every uh, significant department in the bank should have a system to identify, define uh, problems, get to the root cause of the problem, and uh, have one person responsible. On that problem report, the problem should be listed uh, or rated as high, medium, or low. Anything that's a high risk, and here again, we're looking at what is at risk and primarily compliance, liquidity, and uh, capital. uh, Any significant threat to those three things should be raised up through the system to the top to the CEO and actually reported to the board. So it's important to have that pyramid where uh, people even at the lowest level uh, are identifying problems and uh, working on them. Uh, Management needs to demonstrate that the bank is well-managed, basically. Tom, what's the... uh... You know often the focus one focus of the uh
2: exam is going to be on the loan quality, and so uh to what extent can management get ready for an exam by going through loan files, being sure that the files are complete are um are um transparent and enable the examiner uh to understand them. Uh, and if the the examiner doesn't understand what problems can uh, unfold after that.
1: Well, the credit file is the end result of a pipeline that the loan goes through from application to approval to uh, designing the uh, loan. And so when an examiner looks at a credit file, after he or she looks at about five or six credit files, they start to develop a an opinion about the quality of the credit supervision. The file should be very clear that the loan approval process, that the purpose, the source of repayment, and the terms of repayment are very clear and that the source of repayment and the terms of repayment reconcile. I've been doing this probably over 50 years and I've probably classified or criticized almost as many loans for poor structuring that I have for uh, poor credit uh, selection. And it's not that I criticize the loan because of the poor structuring, it's because of poor structurings that uh loans end up being delinquent and uh going uh going into problem uh category so it's important to have a credit file that when you open it up it's neat uh the financial statements are in one section uh loan approvals in another section. It's uh important to show that uh the bank has a good system. Because remember the bank uh examiner is using risk-based supervision. So if an examiner finds that uh everything he picks up is in good condition, uh he's not going to dig as deep as uh he or she would, uh, if uh, everything he put, picks up, uh, he has to go some and ask somebody, uh, you know, what's this, what's that? Uh, you know, I see the loans, uh, you know, was for this purpose. Uh, what's the source of repayment? And the source of repayment is really important because a lot of times uh, you pick up a credit file and you just can't find the source of repayment you have to do a uh, credit analysis of the financial statements and uh uh it's 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 taxing on the examiner to uh dredge through files especially complicated files that may have taken 6 months to uh get the loan approved so i mean Examiners look at everything from, uh, personal loans up to sovereign debt. And, uh, when you're looking at a, uh, loan in a country to build a, uh, dam, uh, you want to, you don't want to have to, uh, sift through a foot of, uh, paper to, uh, find out what's going on. So, uh, it's important to have the credit file, uh, in good shape, uh, I've been doing this for 50 years. What I found is that uh, loan payments fall into five broad categories. There are cash flow, which is earnings plus any non-cash charges. There's conversion of an asset, whether it's on the balance sheet or off the balance sheet, whether it's a self-liquidating asset like inventory or it's a... Uh, fixed asset like real estate. Remember, real estate is on the books that uh, cost less depreciation. So uh, a lot of banks uh, and a lot of borrowers have a lot of hidden assets on their uh, balance sheet. The third way is to rotate the debt, get somebody else to uh, Lend your borrower the money to pay off your loan and uh, then worry about collecting the loans uh, themselves. We see this a lot uh, in the retail area with uh, credit cards. Personal, a person will uh, pay off one credit card with another credit card and continue that cycle until all the credit cards are uh, maxed out, and then you've got a real serious uh, problem. But that's a legi- uh, there are legitimate ways of uh, paying off a debt by rotating it, for example, a construction loan. A lot of banks make construction loans with the understanding that somebody else is going to finance it at the end of the construction period. So rotation of debt is uh, another way. A th- fourth way is third-party intervention. You have an endorser or a guarantor. And they may be good during good times, but my experience is that uh, they're a little reluctant to perform during bad times. So they're uh, they're of some value, but uh, you really have to uh, be careful there. And the last way is debt-for-equity swap. And we saw that – with Penn Central Railroad, we saw it with Chrysler, we saw it uh, with Mexico. And what that is, is that uh, in the case of like Chrysler, uh, when Iacocca took over uh, Chrysler, he went to the bankers and said, listen, we can't pay you. But what we'll do is if you will bear with us, we will give you a certain amount of ownership in the company and if we make it you make it if we don't make it then you weren't going to make it anyhow so in the case of something like a sovereign debt with uh Mexico uh they owed uh one of the large New York banks uh a lot of uh debt and uh the debt was in dollars and uh Mexico was having problems converting pesos to dollars. So uh, they went to the bank and said, listen, we've got a bunch of nationalized uh, industries here. We'll give you a uh, brewing company, a hotel, uh, other assets that uh, were in the possession of the uh, sovereign uh, country. So those are the five ways, cash flow, uh, conversion of the asset, rotation of debt, third-party intervention, and debt for equity swap. So <clears throat> it's important that those things are clear in the credit file. And it's very important that the terms of the debt are compatible with the source of repayment. Let me give you a quick example Uh If you have an inventory loan in uh, September and it's uh, stretched out over 12 months with 12 even payments, that loan's not going to be structured properly because the inventory is a self-liquidating asset that's going to be gone. Most of it's going to be gone by Christmas, and what's left over will be gone by the end of February, and there will be diminished cash flow coming into the company March through the next September, so a loan like that, if it's uh not structured properly uh with uh larger payments uh uh the largest payment in december uh, second largest payment in November, and other payments uh depending on the cash flow uh the other structure is uh for example, and I know this may not be a really good example, but you have a teacher. They have an income nine months a year, and they've got an auto loan that's uh, 36 months or however months they're stretching them out to now 60 months. And uh, at the end of the first year, the loans, three payments pay us due. Well, we knew that was going to happen because there was no income uh june july and august so those are oversimplified examples but uh, they demonstrate how important it is to have a loan properly structured i was on the phone one day with the the treasury department and uh, they were uh, going to uh, provide money for a dam in a uh, country and they had a 10-year payout, and I said to them, that's okay, but you know you're going to have to refinance that at the end of 10 years. And somebody asked the question, well, why is that? And I said, There's no way that that uh, cash flow is going to be there to pay uh, pay that debt off in that shorter term. So loan structuring is very, very important.
2: Well, thank you, Tom. Uh, we'll have more questions for you the next time. And uh, thank you again for uh, joining us today.
1: Enjoyed it, uh, Dave. Always enjoy working with you. Thank you.